Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. Anybody? Uh, somebody said it. What, 38 special. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I confess I don't have a, gra- a great, you know, vast understanding of 38 special. Uh, I do remember I had a friend that had a cassette tape uh, back in the day. And I, know, I do know that those guys got at least one thing right. Um, although, actually, in the song, they're quoting the wisdom of a girl, so that, you know, whatever you want to see that. Um, when they said, hold on loosely, uh, but don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. That very well captures, I think, our tendency uh, to receive and appreciate a good gift and to hold it in our hands and say, this is a really good thing. And then we do that at first. And then somewhere along the way, we stop. And at some point, we stop recognizing that as a gift to be stewarded uh, and cared for. And, some, and we start treating it like a right, uh, like something that we've earned and created uh, and a thing to which we will attach all of our pride and all of our hopes and all of our dreams. It may be a talent. It may be our family, it may be a career, it might be an heirloom, it might be a country, it might be a reputation, all good things entrusted to us by God, all of them tied up in the grand purposes of God, loving and blessing and rescuing the world, but with the slightest turn of heart, we are masters at taking these good gifts and making them the center of our universe. We make them ends in their selves, which they were never intended to be. So they have to carry a weight that they cannot bear up under. Our kids and our work were never intended to carry that kind of burden. So at the end of this Abraham story, he has received the greatest gift yet. This is the one that he waited for, that he thought of all the things that would be impossible. This was at the top of the list. And he's received this great gift, the son of the promise, who will carry on the legacy of him and Sarah, the promised offspring that they never imagined they would have, Isaac, the son of laughter. Uh, After the mocking laughter that was before this, and after everyone else laughed at them, and after all the tears that they cried, for being unable to fulfill the promise they thought in their lifetime, Isaac, the son of laughter. And so we're right in the middle of all this excitement and Abraham's Abraham's doing all the things you're supposed to do with this son and marking him and doing everything that's supposed to happen. Uh, Sarah emerges on the scene as this co-creator with God like Eve did, and she's just uh, infusing all of this beauty into the story. And so here we have uh, Sarah and Abraham just at the top of their life, uh, the pinnacle, and they're watching Isaac grow up. And somewhere along the way, you know, they're journeying. It's this great metaphor where Abraham, the great journeyer who journeys all over the place, now Isaac is journeying with him. And they're going over the place, and they've had these great triumphs in the passages that Tyler read for us at the end of chapter 21. And then Genesis says, the beginning of chapter 22, and it came to pass after those things 
after these things. And, uh, and after these things, and after it came to pass, God speaks to Abraham, and he says to him something like this. Hey, Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, yes. And he said, you know your son? And Abraham says, yeah. And he said, uh, he's your only son, right? He says, yeah, he's my only son. And God says, well, you love him, right? And he said, well, yeah, of course I love him. He's my only son. By the way, this is the first time that we see the language of love in the Bible is in this story right here. You love him, right? And Abraham says, yes. And God says, okay, then I want you to take that son, your only son, the son that you love, the son of the promise, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, we have the advantage of the narrator. You know, we have the advantage of knowing the end of the story. We have the advantage of the commentary on what God is up to. But can you imagine what Abraham might have been thinking? What? I believed in your promise. I was 25 years in this strange land. I had no father and I had no son. I was stuck in the middle. And finally, I have a son now. And in him, you have told me all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And you want me to do what? So this is where the narrator chimes in and says, and it came to pass that after these things, God tested Abraham. What? God tested Abraham. And since our faith shrinks or grows until we die, until the day that we die, our faith is either growing or it's shrinking, then we are never too old to be tested. And in Abraham's case, this is the grand test at the end of his life, and this is a lifetime of tests. Abraham, at this point, is an expert in God tests. He's been tested, in fact, this is the 10th time. There are 10 tests that Abraham has in his journey in the Genesis story, and this is number 10. And it's the greatest, the hardest, it's the most wild, it's the one that pushes him to the limits the most. Only twice in the Bible do we have this command to go in the way that God commands Abraham to go in chapter 12 when he says go, and it's really like get yourself gone. That's kind of the Hebrew impact of it. Get yourself up and get yourself gone and go from this place and go to the country that I'll show you. Uh, and he didn't know where it was. He, he didn't know what it was going to be like. And then we get it again at the end of the Abraham story. Get yourself up and go to Mount Moriah and take your son with you. And so in both cases, Abraham, he just, we don't get his commentary. He just does the next thing. He goes to the land. He leaves his father's house and he goes in chapter 12. And in chapter 22, he gets up and saddles his donkey. He just does the next thing that you do. You know, he sleeps on it. I imagine he didn't sleep very much. He wakes up early and saddles his donkey, and it's a three-day journey to where he ended up, and he had a lot of time to think about it, but he just went. It's a moving story, and I think it's one of those stories that you kind of have to wrestle with it. You have to talk about it. You have to parse it out, but at the end of the day, it's just a story we have to tell. It's a story we want our kids to know and our grandkids to know. It's a story we ought to remember. It's a story we ought to tell during the season of Lent. It's a story we ought to tell right now. It's a story we ought to 
learn and remember and read and feel the pain of and feel the nuance of and imagine what it was like to not only have God call out to you and Abraham say, here I am, Lord, but to have your son call out to you and go, hey, Dad, yes, my son, where's the sacrifice going to come from? I see all this stuff here, but how's this going to work? And Abraham just says, don't worry, son, God will provide uh, a sacrifice. And so, of course, just, man, and this is a story, it's like the difficulties of this story parallel the difficulties of our lives uh, in a way that probably no other story does. And of course, anytime we see a test, we know that there are implications. I mean, some of you are masters at creating tests, uh, guiding tests, uh, grading tests, doing all this. It's, it's a difficult thing, right? And of course, what you want to make sure is that a test gives someone the opportunity to demonstrate what they know. That's the whole purpose of a test. Can you demonstrate what you've learned? And through the process, can you learn more? Can you have the learning kind of settle in where you won't forget it? And so this is an opportunity. And in fact, this is exactly what Abraham does. He demonstrates that he's learned somewhere along the way that he's learned how to trust God. He really has learned. I mean, this is not some Johnny-come-lately. This is not a one-off story. This is Abraham at the end of his life, and this is why he's our hero. This is why we say Father Abraham. And in fact, the next time I sing Father Abraham of many sons and many sons have Father Abraham, I'm thinking, uh, you know, many tests had Father Abraham too. He had a lot of sons, but he had a lot of tests, and he handled them beautifully. Uh, early in his life, he had a few slip-ups. He had a few misses with his faith and with his trust, but as he grows and he matures and he develops, he's living into this calling, his father Abraham. I mean, he is hitting the nail on the head. And there is never any indication in the story that Abraham is going to, that Abraham is going to falter. It's, he's just steady. He's just steady in the process, in the pain, in the anticipation. And this is why he's the anchor of the promise. And this is why he's our hero. So, Okay, but back into the kind of the weeds of the story. So when we get, we got to read the story. We got to feel the pain of it. We got to shed some tears and some wondering here and, and imagine Isaac and, and go through that experience. But, but what about this word to test? What, what's the deal with God testing Abraham? Um, I actually had a Hebrew, my final project in Hebrew class uh, was to analyze this word. And, and our teacher told us we had to spend 30 hours on it. And I was like, What? 30 hours on one word? There's no way I'm going to be able to do that. But I, I did because that was the assignment. It was a test. And so I, I took the test and studied it. Anyways, one of the things you learn in this, in this uh, looking at this word to test, uh, nisa, is that it, is, uh, it only occurs in one tense throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. And it's, it's in the PL sense. And it's, a, it's the most elusive of Hebrew tenses. It's really tough to translate. But um, one, one great example that probably helps us understand what the word means, kind of the import of the word, is uh, remember when Saul took his armor and he put it on David? And, and David, he you know, tried it on and he said, I can't wear this stuff. I haven't tested it out yet. That's what he said. I haven't tested the armor yet, which means I haven't seen it in battle. I'm not going to go into battle wearing something. That I don't know how it's going to work. So I'm not wearing that. So the idea that I haven't tried it out yet. Uh, another place we see this word is in Deuteronomy 8 where Moses is reminding the people of God, what is our job? And he says, now that we've been through all this together and God has delivered us and all this stuff and we're headed on the way to the promised land and we're, things are going well, make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure, whatever you have to do that you don't forget, that you don't forget God. Make sure that you remember God by obeying his commandments 
and these other things. Don't forget. He says, Moses says, remember God. And in chapter 8, verse 18, this is the one who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers knew nothing about, that God might humble you, that God might test you to do you good in the end. Don't you love that? The whole concept of manna was a test. It was to test the people, and not just to test them just for the heck of it, but in the end, to do them good. There was some growth that needed to happen. For God to give them the good that he wanted to give them, they had to go through that test. Ups and downs, but there it was. And I think in a test like this, there is a moment or there is a time where we feel like we're going to die. We feel like if we let go of that thing that we love, that we've held on too tightly to, we think we're really going to die or something's going to happen. And you'll notice in the, in the Isaac story here that no, one, no one's hurt. No one gets hurt in this story uh, except the, the ram that gets his uh, horn stuck in the thicket. But, you know, that was part of the deal. So, but, but it's how it feels, though, doesn't it? When we, we, we approach with something like this, like maybe we're holding on too tightly to one thing. We've got it too close to the center of our heart, and God asks us to lay it on the altar, and we feel like, oh, my gosh. If I open my hands and hand that to you, God, I'll, I, don't know if I'll, I don't know if it's going to work. And, of course, what we find on the other side is that God has something else. He has some good that he wants to do in the end, and that's why he asks for us to let go. So, <clears throat> practically, how do we determine when God is testing us? I mean, how do, how do you figure that out? How do you know when it's a test or when it's bad luck or when something, you know, when something else is going on? I think sometimes in a test like this, in the biblical sense, it's only clear in hindsight. Maybe other times we see it for what it is, but other times maybe we don't recognize it until later. Uh, but we should expect a test like this if we want to grow. I suppose if we don't want to grow, we can probably get by without a test like this. But a test like this tends to involve a yes action, right? We're not, we're not just asked to endure something, but we're asked to respond, to give a big hearty yes. You know, go to the place that I will show you. Abraham says, okay, I'll go. Go and take your son. Okay, I went and took my son. There tends to be an action, something that God is calling us to do. That's the nature of this kind of test. Uh, it's not just a, you know, hang on, it's going to get better later uh, if, you don't, if, you, if, you, if you hang in there. There are things like that that we'll talk about later. But, but in this case, there's an, a yes action that's involved rather than enduring some bad circumstance. So we have to be careful how we deal with that. Uh, I think of uh, Peter in the New Testament when Jesus asked him, hey, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, Lord, of course I love you. Okay, well, no, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, no, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. And he says, okay, then go and do something, right? There's an action as part of the test. Go and feed my sheep. There's a, a call, an action. It also occurs to me that uh, you cannot recognize or work through a test like this without a guide. This is very dangerous territory. 
and we have to have a guide uh, or a series of guides. And you know, some of these guides are like Abraham <laughs> in the story, someone who's no longer living in the body. We can't talk to them, but we can learn their story. And in that way, they become a guide for us. And then we have people that are still living that are our mentors and our friends uh, and our spiritual directors. And uh, pastors should be this way. We're not always this way because uh, we like to think of ourselves as busy and we don't slow down sometimes enough to help in these times. But this is kind of our work. The shepherds, the pastors, the bishops, the spiritual guides, your Sunday school teachers, the people that are gonna recognize things in your life that you and I may miss. And so that's why it's so important to have a guide. Uh, in this dangerous territory because we are blind to certain things and they help us see it. One disclaimer about this story. Uh, It's obvious to us, but it's just worth saying and it's worth reminding (laughs) kids and things like that as we learn to follow Jesus and as we learn because, you know, kids have this great faith. Uh, But this event is an unrepeatable event in the sense that God's not gonna ask one of us to go and offer up, uh, go put our child in danger in order to you know, endure a test like this. So I think it's good to rehearse that. It has its instructional purpose in the Genesis story, uh, but it's not something that we're going around and wondering every day, oh no, is God gonna ask me to carry my kid up to Mount Moriah and strap him down to a pile of wood? Uh, we, we know that that's not according to the nature, the kind of thing that God would ask from us now. There is one exception to this rule And it's another unrepeatable event that you'll remember in the history of the world. That moment where, as St. Paul tells us, God did not spare his own son, his only son, the son that he loved. He did not spare him. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So there, there it is again, the God wanting to give us good, and the test uh, becomes a part of that. And so uh, here we see that it is God's gift, it's the gift in Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our lives that uh, enables us to live this kind of life, that would enable us to, uh, to be uh, trained in this way. It's this idea of training through a test, and we can make it because of what Christ has done and continues to do in our lives. And so, uh, while we don't ever expect God to ask us to take our children and put their lives at risk in order to test our character, we do expect as Christians that God will test us. God will test us as individuals, God will test us as families, God will test us as churches. God will test us as Sunday school classes, as bands of close friends. And why would he do that? Uh, Other than to strengthen us, to see what we hold in greatest esteem. Is it God that we love and trust at the center of our hearts, or has something else snuck in and taken up this holy residence? All of this, of course, that God might do us good in the end. So here's to living this life that where God is seeking to do us good in the end and in order to do so, will test us from time to time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.